Welcome to Insights on Responsible Business, a podcast about business within a broader landscape than selling products and services to the market. It's about making an impact that matters to society, to the environment, to you. Because business isn't possible without people and trust. Now, more than ever, it's the right time for responsible business. In today's episode, we talk about how a strong cybersecurity framework and culture can contribute to the development of responsible business at this time of the coronavirus crisis as well as in more normal times. What are the major challenges faced by those responsible for safeguarding cybersecurity in major companies? And what are the best response measures they are turning to? Our host is Sir Rob Wainwright, formerly Executive Director of Europol, with experience coordinating global operations against cyber, criminal, and terrorist networks, and now a senior partner of Deloitte in cyber risk and financial crime. And our guest today is Lise Alderlister, the Chief Information Security Officer of the Dutch Railways, an experienced digital risk professional, formerly of the financial sector, and now with a leading position in a critical part of the national infrastructure of the Netherlands. A warm welcome, Rob and Lies. Over to you. Well, thanks, Rodney, and welcome, Lies. And it's a pleasure to have your virtual acquaintance today. Well, we're going to get into this topic of the importance of cybersecurity for companies and governments everywhere as they shift to a more responsible business agenda. Most people, most boards, in my experience, are now getting the point that we have to take the cyber threat more seriously than we have done in the past. And I'm sure that's something you've been saying for some time and a long time across the many senior positions that you've held. And we see right now, during this current crisis, perhaps the cyber criminals are inventing new scams linked to COVID-19, illustrating maybe the dynamic nature of that threat. Now, you, Lise, you're very much in this front line, maybe facing these threats. Indeed. What, indeed. Does, it, what does it look like to you? What does it feel like as, as, a, as a Chief Information Security Officer? Well, you know, in general, my job is always about dealing with the insecurity of what hackers are doing next. So in that res- respect, I think it's, it's not all that different, other than that the whole society is actually now uh, in uh, in this this whole position, and um, it doesn't surprise you that hackers are actually now also, of course, taking advantage of this crisis. And um, it's astonishing, but not for my people, I don't think. But it is astonishing that within uh, a day there are um, malware uh, stuff sent in attachments with the name COVID or Corona. Um, and so they are exploiting this huge and bizarre situation that we're in to try and infect networks and to do their bad stuff, even in this um, situation. So um, it's it's very uncertain times, yeah. Are, th- are these new techniques you're seeing, or is it just the old methods, but now with just, just you know, a new opportunity maybe to run them? Well, the difference, and of course, I've um, raised this with uh, with the board. I think the risk profile um, is increased, and that's for two reasons, really. That's because of the huge uptake of all this uh, digital technology, because people are working from home, and the scale of that is quite large. Um, most people who can 
work from home aren't being made to work from home. So there's two vectors there which make the chances of things going wrong just much, much, much bigger. So that's why um, the cyber threats are just bigger at this moment. And we had to be really busying ourselves with tackling these types of measures to um, try and counter those. Uh, and I suppose it must have been really difficult for you to stand up like we all have to in, in very short time, you know, a, a much bigger infrastructure, much, much bigger working capacity for most of our staff, maybe all of our staff to work from home. Yeah. I mean, how difficult was it at that time still to get the right cybersecurity standards in place? Because, you know, they must have been working really for a different priority, really. Just get that IT infrastructure in place right now. Indeed, indeed. So continuity and getting people to work in the first place is, of course, a balancing act with, you know, do we also then need it, um, require it to be secure? And in all fairness, we did do what every company did. Um, we had, didn't have everything straight away in place and working. Some of the bits weren't working. And then you have to allow... Um, for example, and Zoom, I think, is a very commonly understood uh, video conferencing tool now. And, and there's been a lot of um, um, noise around Zoom about it not being safe, about it being hacked and stuff. Because the uptake of Zoom was just, and it's a good example, it was very easy. The registration took two seconds and you were up and running and it worked also with lots of people in a call, whereas all our normal regular stuff did not. And so I think many other CISOs were struggling with, well, we know it might not be safe. They are, you know, the free tools in general are not safe. Um, but if your IT is not capable of dealing with the numbers and with this uh, this demand, you'll you'll have to then give some slack because the continuity of the company is then first and foremost the most important thing to achieve. Yeah, and I think I mean you make a good point, of course. But I, I guess all virtual conference facilities right now are, are having that that challenge. Of course, not just one of them. Um, you make a good point about you know the. the the challenge, the difficulties you have in your sector, because, of course, you're part of the national infrastructure. I th I've heard you describe before that modern trains are data centers on wheels. So that must give you more problems. Are you seeing particular threats? I mean, oh, aside from the current corona crisis, how difficult is it to secure these data centers on wheels? Well, they are uh, publicly accessible data centers to start off with. I think everybody understands it's a public space. And so to have uh, IT in a train is by default um, a physical security uh, item. So that's, that's an interesting topic. Um, on top of that, um, when you buy a new train um, and you put in cybersecurity measures, it takes seven years to build a train before it finally gets onto a track from the specification moment to it being on the on the rail side. So there's another real challenge in. And, and we actually buy legacy on wheels, which is an amazing concept. But it's very, very often in transport, at least, that, you know, these are lengthy procurement cycles where um, in, in, in that span, I mean, an iPhone, I think, lasts for three years, right? So it's, it's a challenge that we're going to have to face. And, and in the Netherlands, do you think the threat is, is, is particularly high? Do you see it as a, as a, as a problem, as, as, a, as one of the countries maybe in Europe where there is, uh, you know, a much more dynamic criminal threat? I mean, you have a lot of experience, Lisa. What do mm. you see? Yeah, 
Well, what we see is that it's uh, the digitization in rail and in transport um, is uh, quite new and novel, um, and it's not, and that's. I think a good link with responsible business. It's not a Dutch problem, nor is it a problem just of NS. Um, public transport and rail is very much a societal function and sits in an ecosystem where we are very much dependent on all our suppliers in the supply chain. We are very much, of course, working closely together with the rail, the infrastructure manager, ProRail in the Netherlands. But also, you know, trains cross borders. That's the great feature of them. They don't stop there. Um, but we do have all these border um, issues. So it's a really a, a European uh, field that you need to look at these problems at. And to that um, purpose, we have set up a European Real ISAC. I'm um, proud to be one of the co-chairs with uh, a number of countries. Um, there's 12 now in there who are all looking at the same problems. And because it's quite new, there's very little standardization yet in this uh, cyber security field. Um, we do need to collaborate in order to solve the problems because there's no point in doing that in country. Um, thankfully, our board is also supporting this effort. So they very much understand and support me going out in Europe to try and find solutions together because, you know, we need to tackle this together. I mean, what have you achieved though in that board? I mean, Forgive me for sounding a bit cynical, but I worked for almost a decade in, in the European Union. I'm used to a lot of these committees sprouting up and, uh, and, and people saying fine words about the need to collaborate across Europe. Sometimes it's difficult, of course, to, to concert so many different cultures and backgrounds and national interests to actually do something on the ground. So what has this new committee of which you're a part actually achieved so far? Well... I think it's raising the game first and it's like, you know, you, when, you, when you're a season, you try and approach the field of your responsibility for your company. It's pretty much the same, but now at European level, that, that much harder. But we first need to raise the game and get the awareness at all of the board members across all the European countries. It's a very diverse landscape, of course. And to raise that game and get a few of the companies who are a bit further ahead that will benefit other companies. And this is, I think, very much that thought of some of the companies are further in uh, Area X in maybe securing the communications uh, within the train or are really good at already zoning and having ideas in architectural fields in trains. Now, if we put those together, because a lot of these ideas, if we interconnect them, then we get a fuller picture. You are right in that influencing the European field from the perspective of policymaking and oversight, which is still something of an issue, um, definitely very, very hard work. However, I think when you join up together, and it's not just the rail and the infrastructure manager companies, we are also partnering with the vendors in that ecosystem. Because, because again, it's no point that NS understands how to build a secure train and how to specify it when the train builder can't actually then build and fix it, right? So it's there are interdependencies there that we really need to conquer together. Yeah, and I think, I think the point you're making, of course, these interdependencies, this much wider stakeholder community that, that you have to work with. I mean, it sounds like, of course, that the, the work of... A chief information security officer these days is pretty tough, particularly if you put it in the context of what we've just been talking about, about more dynamic, aggressive threats coming coming down the line. In my experience, you know, the shelf life of a typical 
chief information security officer is two years or less. You know, it's tough, tough business. Now, I think you've been doing it for five years, Lee. So, yeah. I mean, what, well, what's your secret? I, I mean, don't you know. talk I don't know. about a number of things here. What, what's, what's the most important achievement you think that's allowed you to be successful in your, in your current position? I think I always say, and I don't, don't mean it jokingly, but I am actually, um, I have quite a big risk tolerance. <laughs> and I think it's necessary. Oh, but does your board, does your board have that as well? But that's, uh, if, if, you, if you talk about my role and how I manage to, to keep on going, I think you need to just be able to absorb the risks. And, and you know, that's, that's something of a bit of stamina. Uh, and also how to translate that to a board. So you need to find the right language in order to um, talk uh, to them in risk because cyber, it all sounds new and threatening, but it's just another risk on their radar and they have many to um, to um, to address. So, you know, in that, in that way, you have to also be humble. Um, and I mean, that's I, I agree, actually, but but at the same time, Again, these these are just words. Unless you are actually, unless that is put to the test, and and I, I don't know what experience you've had either in this job or the previous job, where you know your risk tolerance um, has actually maybe contributed to you actually having a having that bad day when a cyber attack comes down the line. So you know, then do you shift your your position or do you dig in and, and fight around it? I mean, have have you been tested? I guess in in, in in a real incident of course we have and uh, um, of course there's there have been many um i think uh, the good example of course is always WannaCry, which um we really uh, uh had to battle there and worked really hard um in the communications in you must imagine that ns is a very large company and we have outsourced to a number of it companies our um it landscape and so it's not that I can switch buttons myself. It's about, you know, then working together uh, in this whole area to try and get everything patched and, and up to speed. And even in recently, it's not been, um, interestingly, the Citrix hack, which you might have heard of, that was very much a Dutch, uh, interestingly, uh, uh, incident. Um, that, that was a very interesting case because things heat up. Uh, because our governments got involved and the CSERT, so the Dutch NCSC, got involved in um, demanding certain unpatched Citrix servers to be put down, um, specifically companies in uh, in critical infrastructure. Um, and then you have to be really, I think, quite um, strong when you feel that you have everything patched and you have a good story to then not sway for that type of pressure, I think. Um, and that means that you're constantly on the phone and talking to your um, the, the people uh, who are responsible or have the end responsibility and the people in the certs who, you know, keep you on track of things. So that was a very, the last case was very interesting. Um, I think it tests, it must test you know, test your ability to make the right risk management decision. It tests the, the the culture of 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 your company to see if if it can absorb absorb such a, a threat in this way in a, in a perhaps a more mature way. I think cyber threat also tests um, the the principles of responsible business in many in many ways. It, it, it undermines attempts by companies to be more transparent, perhaps, mm -hmm. um, with their consumers. 
uh, it even suppresses, I think, in some ways, the inclination to be more open and collaborative because it kind of induces fear. So for me, I think the cyber problem, if it's not managed well, can indeed strike at the heart of, of responsible business. I suppose in your sector, in the rail sector, national infrastructure, you at least work from a basis of having a strong safety culture. And that in itself must clearly goes a long way to supporting a responsible business agenda. But you must be able to leverage there for already quite a, a strong culture of safety, which I guess helps in getting the right cybersecurity paradigm. Yeah, indeed, indeed. It's been quite a journey in, in finding out how cyber um, cyber risks and IT risk fit onto steel, as I always call it. So um, these are kind of contradicting, really, um, as you can imagine. And so these risks that we found um, in in the first place were very uh, um, perceived as very hypothetical. And so it was the first uh, um, announcements with the Hacker Forum in 2015, and I just started my job at NS, uh, and they announced that certain parts in the real infrastructure were vulnerable to threats. And when I very naively still said, okay, so I need to call up the guys who can tell me whether we have these components and whether we are um, ex uh, exposed. It took me weeks before I got an answer. And so that's the, the kind of um, starting point back in 2015. So I had to really build um, from there. And the first thing I started asking is, okay, so if this is possible, have we ever hacked a train? And this is, of course... Um, Easy to say, because I was kind of surprised that nobody ever thought of that, but um, that, had, that was not really a topic yet. So it took a long time for us to get, actually get to that point. And, and we are there now. And thankfully, it's, it's kind of developed now where we, but it's, it's very much a path of um, influencing and, and, get, and taking people on their journey of what IT and digitization means in uh, these very mechanical uh, si systems and safety is very mature there, but how it links to cyber is something that we are discovering. And so we are... Well, I think it's it's pretty obvious though, Lisa, isn't it? I mean, you should have, um, presumably you will have discovered it long before now because like on on aircraft, of course, um, digital platforms in the sky, you know, a cyber hack can be potentially catastrophic indeed and i guess in different ways but still very serious for a, for a yes, train in that indeed. way so i guess that's my point why in the end safety is your business i mean it's at the core of your, of your business and so cybersecurity now is obviously a, a, a com must be a compelling compelling priority. indeed it is and you know it's it's about thankfully because of the mechanical nature of a train still we have a red button which is totally separate it's not digital at all a lot of parts of our trains are still not at all digital it's about stuff have have been bolted on to the trains which made it more digital but the core and the basics of it um, are not as far yet that's happening right now so i feel we are in time to start to understand how that will work and how it impacts safety. Um, but that it does is very obvious. That's why I think also uh, um, I get a lot of support from our safety uh, colleagues as well. And we're working together to plot that risk now in bow ties and, and really working together and collaborating. Also to come to the similar dictionary. It's very often very different languages in safety. It's about reliability and availability uh, versus confidentiality, integrity and availability, which is the 
uh, information security one. And, and just one, maybe one closing question before we wrap this this podcast up, Lise, because, you know, turning back to the current coronavirus, therefore, and the crisis rather, how important is getting cybersecurity right in in the rail network or, or broader to society right now as part of, as, as we all face this great challenge of dealing with this, this terrible virus? Well, I think um, it's obvious, um, like we said, um, I think the rail is a very um, it, it, it's if, um, societal function that it has. It's the public transport system, which is very important to sustain and support um, the, the functioning of, um, of our whole society. And that's become quite obvious. When the corona crisis <clears throat> hit, 90% of people didn't use the train anymore. Uh, that's how... Um, it has impacted us. But also, it's, I think, quite amazing how um, it was stated by my company to not use a train in light of corona. I think that is uh, a good sign of responsible business. And um, dot. Yeah, I think that's a great way to finish. Thanks again, Lise, for for sharing your insights today on on the challenges, opportunities that cyber brings to us all. Um, If I were to wrap up, I'd probably say that um, as data centers on wheels and as such powerful connectors of people on the move, modern trains, I think you've described very well, are are in in a way an emblem of our times, maybe an important instrument that offers us so much, of course, but like so many other parts of our lives and business, vulnerable to digital exploitation by cyber actors. And we've learned today with the right culture, governance, information security in place, under the right experience leadership like you've heard from Lise today, there is a way of answering this cyber conundrum, I suppose, of taking sensible and targeted measures to protect a company's vital assets, but in a way that allows it to enjoy still the full force of digital benefits to become smarter in business and indeed better for society. Well, that's responsible business in action. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to another episode of Insights on Responsible Business. Hope you enjoyed it and you'll tune in for our next episode. Review us on Spotify, the iTunes podcast app, or whatever popular podcast app you're using and find out more on Deloitte.nl. We'll see you on our next episode.